Welcome back, everybody, to Conversion to Christ podcast. And as you can see, we are in a new studio, which actually isn't a new studio at all. I am in my college library. I have moved to Hawaii. We are still going to continue finding people to share their stories of why they believe in Jesus Christ. If you are listening to this podcast episode and you would like to share your story, then please go on to any of my social media channels and contact me. All right, guys, let's get into this next episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to Conversion to Christ podcast. Today, we have a very, very special guest with us. He couldn't fly in to Hawaii, but that is okay. I saw Shane Baldwin on Ward Radio, another LDS kind of podcast radio show. And I, well, actually, he DM'd me. Wait, why did you DM me? What was your, did you just see me on reels on like the... So I actually heard you talk about how you had come home from your mission after eight months. And, and I thought, you know what? The spirit said, you need to reach out to this young lad. <laughs> and, uh, maybe I, I got on, I, I got on your Instagram and I saw you like interview people. So I'm like, Hey man, I want to come on your show. Um, I think you got, you and I have a lot in common. We've, we've, we've tasted the atonement mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I mean, it it stinks that we had to go through what what we went through or we did what we did but at the same time it's so powerful that that we were able to taste the atonement so yeah so i just uh sent you a dm and said hey and then uh you know you you saw me on ward radio so yep and and i for those who don't know listening i listened to ward radio on my mission and they kind of inspired me to start my own thing um and so and I really love all the Word Radio guys. I think they're super funny and they bring in comedy to the gospel, which I think some people relate better to than just spiritual only. So I really, I really enjoy them. And I heard you say on their show that you kind of felt prompted to go on Word Radio or was there, was there? A- yeah. So, yeah. So, so I had done another kind of LDS ish podcast. And, uh, man, the comments just beat me up pretty bad. I don't know what I said or what I did, but, um, they took it down after like three hours. So I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going on any other LDS podcast. I don't know what I did wrong here. Um, and I, I watched an episode cause somebody reached out to me and asked me, they said, Hey Shane, what do you think about MMPs? I'm like, is it like a bomb? Like what's an MMP? Yeah. <laughs> so I go and Google MMP and, and I guess there's some non-doctrinal term called multiple mortal probations, but the ward radio guys did a segment on that topic. And that's how I found them. And okay. I thought, man, if these guys are talking about MMPs, this is kind of the, the kind of show that probably could, could be a forum where I'm going to, I'm going to be able to, to be on and they're not going to shut it down. And so I got connected with them because I really want my story to be shared among like my people. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm an active LDS guy. Um, I got a temple recommend. I didn't get excommunicated when I went to prison. I'm sure we're going to get into that story. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I'm like in it to win it, man. The, the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that's the spot. That's, that's the Lord's church on the earth. I'm all in with it. Let's go. I love that, dude. And so did you feel when you saw that you had seen me interview people were like, did you feel like a little prompting too to like message me? What do you like? What do you think? Oh, totally, totally, totally. I mean, it's as though when I heard you, I wasn't even watching the video of you. My phone was just playing on like 
random stuff. And I heard you tell the story. And then, uh, you know, when I, when I saw you on there, I, I thought, Hey, I need to, I need to reach out to him if, if, if nothing less to go on his podcast, but I just want, you know, especially guys your age that have kind of gone down the, the Alma, the younger path, uh, the path I've been on to just connect with me. And, and, uh, you know, I, I felt like I could be a good sounding board for you and, and you could be a good sounding board for me. So, and I love the, the title, uh, you know, conversion to Christ, because that that's, I could hear it. You were like, and I'm remembering you saying this, so forgive me, but you're like, yeah, after eight months of being on my mission, like I knew 100% this thing was true. And I was like, oh, I got to go remember some stuff. Yep. And so that's exactly what you did instead of like, oh, you know, I'm already out here. It was like, no, I got to do the right thing. This is going to be hard. Uh, and I'm sure you were, you know, an awesome missionary even at that time. And and now all of a sudden you're going to have to deal with a couple of things, but you were ready because you were so converted to Christ. You were ready to go ahead and go through whatever it was, whatever you were going to have to deal with, whatever public humiliation to go through the repentance process. And, and you've come out the other side and it's, it's like, it's, you're, you're even more powerful because you owned the sin. You went through the process of it and and you've come out the other end, man, and you're just like crushing it. Dude, thanks, bro. I always get like embarrassed when people like compliment me on my own podcast. I'm always like, like I always get red faced, but thank you so much. That's really kind of you to say. I'm trying. We're trying, right? Conversion to Christ. We're going hard. I want to get into your story. I just want you to get into like, like, I mean, like how you, how'd you grow up? Like, were you religious? Um, go through the times of your life that you felt the savior and felt why you choose to believe now. Yeah. Just you, you kind of know your story. So go ahead and. Yeah. Yeah. Share so, that. so I, yeah, I have kind of a, a unique origin story. I guess you could say, um, I was adopted as a baby. My birth mother was like 15 years old. My birth father was 20 in 1980. So this is taboo in Salt Lake city, Utah. So, you know, it's, it's not a great situation. She, um, and there's, if you go to like my YouTube page, you can see me meeting them for the first time. I met them when I was 33 years old and I, I hired a film crew to record me meeting them. And I asked my birth mother, I said, what made you decide to give me up for adoption? And she says, I've never told anybody this. And this is on this on YouTube. She says, but honestly, an angel came to me and told me that I needed to give the child up for adoption. Interestingly enough, my parents who adopted me weren't anticipating being in line to, to receive a child for another couple of years. So when they got the call, like, hey, we have a baby boy for you, they didn't have a crib. They didn't have anything. They weren't expecting um, for another couple of years to, to actually have a, a child through LDS Social Services. So my parents that adopted me, um, they couldn't have kids. And, and so I'm, I'm the oldest son, uh, to my parents, Dwight and Cindy. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm obviously different than, than my mom and dad. Um, my tastes are different. I look different, all sorts of those kinds of things growing up. Fortunately, I was raised by a mother and father who were like stalwart members of the church. And I can be a little like unruly, um, 
And so it was good for me to get adopted. Like God knew what he was doing. He's like, yeah. I got to put this rascal with, with, with these two, because they'll keep him on the straight and narrow. And so I grew up in a home where they're playing the primary hymns throughout the house. I know all the primary hymns. My dad was my Bishop when I was a teenager. So, you know, I remember going to my dad and he asked me the question, do you have a problem with, you know, the M word? And I'm like, what is that? I didn't even know what it was. That's how oblivious I was and what kind of bubble I was raised in. Yeah. And uh, my dad actually taught me at the time. He's like, don't do that. Channel all of that into sports and school. And he taught me about the power that we had and how we we should use that sexual energy and transmute it into something that's more powerful. Um, I'd always anticipated that I would go on a mission, you know. So when I at the time you know, for me, it was 19 years old and I got my mission call. I was on the older side. So my senior year, I get my mission call, um, towards the end of the year. And I got called the, the South Africa Johannesburg mission. And, um, the truth is why your story kind of resonated with me is I go to the MTC and I'd never read the book of Mormon all the way through. I was just, you know, you know, I'd read it with my parents and I thought, yeah, it's probably true, whatever, you know? Yeah. I didn't even know that there were other churches until I was like 15 years old. And I was like, what? <laughs> there's, there's other churches other than our church. Yeah. Wow. You know, so I grew up in this, in this bubble. Um, but I got into that MTC and I started reading the book of Mormon. and I'm like, wow, this thing's legit. I remember writing my parents saying, why didn't you tell me that this was so legit? And they're like, <laughs> well, we, we tried, you yeah. know? Um, but, but that's when my, my conversion to Christ really started was actually on my mission. I would, you know, I graduated from seminary, like we all do. We just kind of go through the motions, but it was that, that mission experience that really converted me to Christ. And, and, and one of the most powerful things, and you know, this, cause you just got home from a mission, like your conversion to Christ grows immensely as you help other people find their conversion to Christ. And, and like, if you want to totally get converted to Christ, go share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dude. Like that will like, yeah. So, so like people that are looking to get converted, yes, you can read all the scriptures, you can do all that. But when you start sharing the gospel, that's when you become converted to Christ. That's typically when you get that baptism of fire, right? That's yeah. typically when that Holy ghost really starts working through you. So, so I go on my mission, come home from my mission. And then I go out to, to where you're at right now. I went to school out at, uh, BYU Hawaii, awesome place. And, yep. um, had a great experience out there at BYU Hawaii. Um, uh, I was, I, I got married, yeah. um, while I was, I was out there and started a business and, and, um, wait, wait, wait. in 2000, sorry, sorry. I have go some ahead. questions real quick. So like, before you continue, like during all that time, like, so before you went into the MTC, you were like, oh, okay, I feel like this is a good thing. Like, I feel like this is kind of true. Like, and then in the MTC, you're like reading the Book of Mormon throughout your mission. You're like, holy crap. Like, you're, so you realized it was fully like the Lord's church, like Jesus Christ church on earth during your mission. Totally. And, and for me, like, I don't care what happens. I can't deny that experience that I had of knowing that the Book of Mormon is true, Joseph Smith is a prophet, and he restored the Church of Jesus Christ. I can never deny that. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I can't. I, I, those feelings are so strong and so impactful, and, and that's why I'm like, 
how are other people not having a similar experience on, yeah. on their missions? Because for me, it was clear as like, like what two plus two is for. It's like, this is it. Yeah. Uh, and I, when I, again, when I, I heard you talking, I knew that that you had had that same kind of like realization, like, like, yeah, I always thought it was probably true. I probably stood and said, I know the church is true, but, but man, now I got conviction. Now I really, really know. And when you get that fire, man, you just want to tell everybody yeah. you're like, you're ready to just go take on the the world. And, and, and when you can catch that fire on your mission, like when you got that spirit with you, you're just unstoppable. Yeah. When I, sometimes see missionaries coming home and falling away or or saying their mission didn't impact them it like blows my mind i'm like how like it like i would have been so lost without finding christ on my mission like it it blows my mind so i get where you're coming from so you got married you came to BYU hawaii you started some businesses in hawaii um and yeah go from there when we're like, like how was after mission life like were you continuing to still follow the spirit, having spiritual experiences, being a disciple. What was that like? Yeah. You know, you know, it's interesting because it's like you go from being totally focused on everybody else and then you come home from your mission and it's all about where am I going to go to school? What kind of girl am I going to date? And you get so internally focused. And, And so I was still filled with the fire of being converted but I lost a little bit of that being externally focused, really looking to serve uh, because I was so worried about, well, what am I going to do now? And there's a, a real balance. And I wish somebody would have told me like, Hey, when you get home, you got to continue to, you know, read and study and learn and serve and help and do missionary work. It was as though when I came home, I'm like, okay, well, missionary works over that's done. Now I need to figure out how am I going to make money? What chick am I going to go on a date with? Yeah. What am I going to wear? You know what I mean? And so there's there's really a, a balance that you've got to try and find. And, and I would say that the best, ha- the best habit or one of the best habits the missionaries develop is their study habits. Mm-hmm. And for me, I didn't keep that going. And I regret that. I came home and I'm like, I don't have a companion, so I don't have to have a companionship study, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't have to wake up at this time at six o'clock because I don't. So, you know, I I have later on realized that when I was the happiest was when I was following these study habits, when I was waking up at a certain time, when I was spending those hours in the morning preparing for my day. And that's a really valuable thing that that we learn on our mission. And I wish somebody would have said, Hey, of all the things, when you come home from your mission, keep those study habits in place, wake up at that time, spend time in your personal study. I do that today. Cause I realize that, but when I got home, it's not as though I, I fell away or anything, but I fell away from those very important habits. So like, that's like one of the biggest things I share with missionaries who are serving or preparing to serve is that you need to, on your mission. You need to learn how to love missionary work, or else you're you're gonna get home and you're gonna think, oh, my two years are up, my year and a half is up, um, and that's how I feel like most of our culture is. And so you have to learn to not treat your mission as this really hard experience that you have to get through, and then once you're at the end, you're rewarded. It's 
actually just an MTC for life. It's here to prepare you to be a disciple for your life. Totally. Um, and I feel like what you just explained is like actually what happens to like most missionaries. They come home and they think like that they they finished. That was their two years. That was their time. And it's like, no, it's like you got to go throughout your whole life, bro. You got to like this is this is the most important work on earth, you know? Yes, it is. Yeah. So then from falling away, not from the gospel, but from those little habits you had developed on your mission, what was like the repercussion of that? Like what, what did you start to feel less spiritual as you did on your mission? Did what, what do you think? What happened? Yeah, I, I, I think, I think what happens is you just start turning to the world for answers. Mm. So you, you become totally engrossed in worldly things. You can't become what kind of fashion am I going to have? What kind of, how am I going to look? You get totally into everything that's going on with you. And, and that's not Christ. Christ was focused on how he could bless everybody else. And so, you know, from, you know, 2001, I got home in 2001 till about 2012, you know, I had started lots of businesses. I had made lots of money. I'd had lots of success and in 2012, I got my wake-up call, and and it was a knock at the door from the FBI, and they were letting me know that they were investigating me on securities fraud. And you know, I was checking the box; I was active in the church, but now all of a sudden, I needed God's help because, shoot, I got the FBI investigating me. And it's interesting how how we turn to God when we need Him, when everything's going great for us. We should be giving him all of the the thanksgivings and the gratitude that we possibly can. But when everything's going good with us, we kind of forget about God. And then as soon as like life doesn't go how we want or something happens, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. So you yeah. know, in 2012, I I I I I'm I'm repentant and I'm like, I need your help. And, and I, that was the time that I'm like, I got to get back into the scriptures. I got to get back into that, that routine of studying. And, and so I just started saying, okay, first three hours of the day, I'm going to work out for an hour and I'm going to spend two hours studying. And I started doing that. And what, what happened, (coughs) what happened is I came across this phrase in the book of Mormon. And it's also in the new Testament. And the phrase is to go no more out. And that phrase like bounced off the page at me. It's like, repent, do everything you're supposed to do so that you go no more out. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I don't want to go out of my father's presence anymore. Yeah. So I got to figure this thing out. And so I started asking like real questions when I prayed, I'm like, Hey, I know I have assignments. I know that you've asked me to do certain things. I don't, I don't know what they are. I need you to help me understand because I my biggest fear is I would return home and report and I would give my report and my father would be like, dude, that's not what we sent you down there to do. And then he shows me what I was supposed to do. And I'm just like, bitch. And I'm disappointed. He's disappointed. And and for me, the last thing I want to do is is disappoint my dad. Yeah. Like I don't want to disappoint my earthly father. I don't want to you know, disappoint my heavenly father. So I went on this, this quest to really understand purpose. Why am I here? What am I doing here? And, and I turned to the scriptures and I turned to Christ and I turned to the, to prayer and, and, you know, over time, 
bit by bit, here a little, there a little, I would start to understand what I'm supposed to do. And 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 the more or the closer I got to the spirit, the closer I realized, man, you know what I really love doing? I love serving people. I love helping people. I love sharing the gospel with people. That's where I started to find joy. And so I started making an effort and praying for every day that I would be provided opportunities to serve people or to share the gospel with people. And when I started looking for opportunities to do that, man, life started really to to change for me. And I started to understand more and more my purpose. So what happened from the the FBI? So they started investigating you and then like you started like, okay, I need to like get back into this, like actually being connected with God rather than checking off the boxes. But then what, like what happened? Did, did they drop everything? Did your businesses go so, well? So they, yeah. So, so they hold a grand jury um, and they decide that the, the feds decide not to indict me. So I'm like, man, that's awesome. That's, that's good. Like it's because I, I'm, I'm thanking God and, and, and I'm like, Hey, you can count on me. I'm an instrument in your hands. Um, and, and throughout this whole process, I'm getting closer and closer to him and closer and closer to my purpose. And, and I tell God, I said, listen, if I really want to understand everything, and if I got to go live in a tent, I will go live in a tent. I told God that be careful when you start telling God that you're willing to go live in tents because he's like, Oh, you are okay. And, and, uh, and sure enough, I found my tent. So the state of Utah in 2015 picked up the charges that the FBI had dropped. And so instead of it being federally prosecuted, it was prosecuted at the state level. And I found myself in an 80 foot cell in Salt Lake County jail. It took me a minute to realize this, but I figured out that this was the tent that God wanted me to live in. That's crazy. So you, so you went to jail and you had like family and kids at this time, right? Wife and four kids. Wife and four kids. Like, did your did your wife know like all that was going on? Like, what was happening? Yeah, I mean, she had a good, a pretty good idea, but I did a good job of like hiding things from her. Yeah. But also at the same time, I don't think either of us were expecting that the state of Utah was going to pick this up. We kind of figured that when they dropped it, that like that was it. Uh, and so it was a shock to her. It was a shock to me. It was a shock to my whole family. And, you know, because of the shock, she just felt like the best thing to do was to file for divorce. And, and that was the hardest thing for me. That was the hardest time when she dropped that news on me and was like, hey, I hadn't even been sentenced to prison. I hadn't even, I was still innocent till proven guilty. Um but but again, that was the moment where it really sent me to my knees. And, and during that time, you know, I I I didn't want to live anymore. I was trying to figure out a way to just call it a day. Um, and and I I went on this super duper fast where I fasted for several days. And the mad and and I was literally this was in prison, like, right? In 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 jail, I was trying to like like end it. Yeah. By fasting, by starving myself. And like several days in, I felt better than before. Like, I'm like, I got more energy, like this isn't working. And so one night I just knelt down and I poured my soul out to God 
And I asked him to please just stop my heart that I didn't, I didn't want to kill myself, but I didn't want to be here anymore. And so I just asked him to just like, take me and and I fell asleep and I had a dream. And in this dream, it was a very vivid dream. A man comes to me. I don't know if you can see the picture behind me. Yeah, I can. I have this, this poster. Cause when I got out of prison, I walked into Deseret book and I'm like, I know that place. So I'm in a field just like that. I'm standing there and a man walks up to me and he says, Shane, I'm here to help. I want to offer you a deal. I'm like, you know, I'm a deal guy. Give me a deal. (laughs) He says, I will let you go back in time to three different portions of your life. And I will let you restart your life. And I will show you what happens. I will show you the rest of your life. I'm like, perfect. I know exactly the first place I wanted to go back to was when I left my family's business to start my own business. If I wouldn't have ever left my family's business, I would have never uh, committed securities fraud and and I would have, you know, I wouldn't be in jail. So he says, okay, I'll show you. He takes me back to that time. And in this time, I'm like doing good. I'm married. I've got three kids. Um, I, I, I'm not super duper rich, but I'm pretty rich. I'm a multimillionaire. Um, I've become a bishop, a stake president, a general authority. Like I'm climbing, climbing the ranks in the church. I'm like, Hey, this sounds pretty good. Let's, let's go back to 2007. He says, well, don't you want to see how your kids turn out? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Show me the kids. He's like, well, you only have three. I'm like, well, wait, wait, wait. I got four kids. He's like, well, in this instance, you only ever have three. So I don't have my youngest son cage. So I'm like, okay, that's problematic. And then he shows me the life of my kids and they're a disaster just addiction, like the worst kind of situation. So I'm like, okay, never mind. I don't want to do that. Option number two, I'm like, what if we go back 2010, 2011? This is when I started making mistakes in my business. I started being dishonest. What does my life look like then? He goes, I'll show you. Takes me back to that time period. I divorce my wife. I marry another person. I fall away from the church completely. I become one of the 400 richest men in America. uh, But ultimately it doesn't um, bring me happiness or peace or joy. And my kids hate my guts. So I'm rich, but I'm not happy. I'm like, okay, I don't want to do that. And now I'm down to my last option. And I remember my dream. I'm sitting there trying to think of where could I go back to? And I'm like, what if I stay right here? And he goes, I'm so glad you asked that. He said, you're going to be here in jail for the next five years. And you're going to help so many people come to Christ. But the person you're going to help the most is yourself. You're going to create an even more unique relationship and be more converted to Christ through this experience. And you're going to get out. You're going to find love again. You're going to find the love of your life. Your kids all turn out amazing. And then I finally got an answer to exactly what I was to do with my life because I saw it. And I woke up from that dream, called my attorney, and I said, hey, I want to take a plea deal. He says, Shane, I think you can beat this. I'm like, I did the wrong thing. I just want to take a plea deal. He's like, okay. So I took a plea deal. The judge sentenced me to a four to 30, minimum of four years, maximum of 30 years. And uh, when when I got to prison, I went before the board of pardons. I'd been incarcerated for 18 months. So there was a chance that I could have gotten out then, even though I knew my five years wasn't up. Um, and they gave me what's called a rehearing, mm-hmm. which means they're going to see me again. And the rehearing was set for April of 2020. 
I got um, incarcerated or arrested April of 2015. So exactly five years later. And then when 2020 rolled around, I saw the board of pardons and they let me out and, and God stayed true to that five-year commitment. And, and my commitment to him, my covenant to him was I'll be an instrument in your hands. I will do the best job I can do as humanly possible to bring souls to Christ. And I'll use my story and my experience to do that. And so during the course of those five years, I treated it like a mission. When I see return missionaries, I'm like, oh yeah, I just got home from my mission not too long ago too. They look at me like, what? I'm like, yeah, I served two missions. One was a two-year mission. The other one was a five-year mission. They're like, what kind of five-year missions are there? I'm like, well, it's a non-traditional one. Um, But I really appreciated the time that I had in there because while I was in there, man, it's like the scriptures opened up to me. Uh, The book of Revelation, the book of Isaiah, two of the hardest books to understand made perfect sense to me. Um, and so, you know, I, I really appreciated that time away from technology and, and all of the noise to really tune in, to understand the scriptures that only in a place like prison, can you have that? Uh, and I had some, man, I just had some of the most spiritual experiences of my life in, of all places, prison. Yeah. That's a, that's crazy, dude. I think. Do you think that one dude in that vision or that dream was just a messenger from God, an angel? What do you, what do you think about that now? Well, it's it's interesting you ask that question, um, because a month before I got arrested, I had been pondering a topic. Now, hey, you might be the first. This might be the time that I release this on any show. Um, so it's March twelfth. 2015. I hadn't been arrested. I had just spent a year long studying one topic in the gospel that gives me heartburn. And it's the the doctrine of polygamy. Like it just, it didn't make sense to me. So I said, I'm going to dedicate and read the entire Old Testament. And I'm going to find wherein God ever commanded man to practice polygamy. I, I, I want to find it. So the first guy that you find that practices polygamy is a guy named Lemek, who is a descendant of Cain, who's a bad guy. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. So, so we're not starting off good. And then you hear about Abraham and his situation was he was promised to be the father of all these nations. His wife wasn't getting pregnant. And so it was culturally acceptable at, in Abraham's time that if your wife can't get pregnant, as long as she's cool with it, she can offer up her maidservant to have children for your husband. Mm-hmm. But it was her idea. This was this was Abraham's wife I, wife's idea. This wasn't God saying, and Abraham, I command you to take Hagar to wife. Yeah. So what does he do? Well, he sleeps with Hagar. She gets pregnant. She has Ishmael. And that didn't turn out so well. In yeah. fact, I think we got a war going on somewhere. Be because of you know these two people, Ishmael fighting with the people of Isaac, right? Like, yeah. like this is how rooted that is. So I'm like, oh, that didn't turn out very well. And so I was just contemplating and asking all of these questions. Um, and, and I went into a year-long study of it, and I'm just like, I just want to know an answer. And, and even if this answer is just for me. So it's March 12th. I'm driving in my car. 
and I'm pondering and thinking about these things. I'm in a fasted state and I'm driving in my car and I literally, dude, I zap out of my car. I can see myself driving and I end up in this field. And that guy that's in that field, that's a depiction of Joseph Smith. And I end up in this field and I see this man walking toward me and instantly I recognize him. I know him. I'm like, it's Joseph Smith. And he introduces himself to me. He said, Shane, I'm Joseph Smith. I said, I, I know who you are. He says, I'm here to answer your question on polygamy. I'm like, cool, you would be the one to know. And this is what he told me. And, th and this could be just for me. He said, Shane, I messed up. I got deceived. And um, I paid a price for it. I said, well, in church history, it says an angel came to you and commanded you with a drawn sword to practice. Did that happen? He said, oh, yeah. Yeah, that happened, but that angel was not from God. And I'm like, well, that makes sense because this angel was taking away your agency. I'm like, well, well, like what happened? He said, well, God came and said, Joseph, what have you done? I told him what I did. I said, well, why didn't you go and tell all the saints, hey, yo, I, I messed up here. He said, God told me not to. He said, it would discredit all of the good things that I have done. But he told me that because I did that, my life would be short-lived. And I knew that I didn't have much more time. I gave this dude a hug and um, I sat back in my car. That conversation couldn't have lasted more than three minutes, but I had traveled over 80 miles. Um, so that was the answer that was for me that, Hey, he just, he got mixed up and, and that's okay. And, 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 and God uses imperfect people. That doesn't mean that Joseph Smith is any less a prophet. Like I love him more knowing that he makes mistakes too, that he had to taste the atonement, just like I had to taste the atonement, just like you had to taste the atonement, right? It makes him so much more real to me that, yeah. that, that, that could happen. And that can, that can happen to anybody. Right, it happened to David. Here, David is chosen, called king, all of it, and he messes up, and he spends the rest of his life writing, you know, you know, groveling with God about that. So, in my dream, the same place, the same guy showed up to me and offered me those three things. No way, dude! <laughs> That's so cool. Like so. I love, I love Joseph Smith, dude. Like I am, I am in the process of buying the domain josephsmith.com mm -hmm. because I want to be part of the group. It, it said there's a prophecy that says Joseph Smith's name will be known for good and for evil. Mm -hmm. And my mission is to make it known for as much good as possible. Um, and, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm buying that domain so I can really do that domain honor and, and share the message in the life of Joseph Smith because I mean, dude, the Book of Mormon's changed my life. It yeah. really has. I, I read it every single day. I don't miss. Like I may miss the gym, but I won't risk, I won't miss reading the Book of Mormon. I will not miss. I get I get in at least a chapter a day, always. There's magic in the book. And if you stay in the Book of Mormon and if you read the Book of Mormon daily, you won't have a faith crisis. You won't fall away from the church. I promise you. That book is too powerful. It, it won't allow you to. Mm hmm. Dude, that's so it makes so much sense now that you wanted to buy that domain, that website, because you told me that before we started the podcast, you wanted to buy it. And I was like, why Joseph Smith? Because I hadn't heard of anything like going through your story and your 
um, Instagram as much of like Joe Smith, but now it's like, I understand why you want to honor his name. Like I, it makes sense. Well, and, and, and I didn't even seek out to buy the domain. I mean, I go on the word radio show. This is how this thing works. I mean, I mean, social media is such a powerful thing. Yeah. I go on word radio a couple, I do a couple of episodes. I get, um, a text from the host from, from Carden. That's like, or actually it was from Quaku. And he was like, Hey, call me ASAP. I call him. He's like, Hey, there's a guy that watched the program that had an experience. And he was told Shane Baldwin would know what to do with that domain. And he's owned it since 1996. And, um, so I got on the phone with them. We worked out an arrangement and yeah, I mean, uh, this all happened in the last couple of weeks. So we're, we're putting together the, 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 the contracts and the paperwork, and we've got some pretty big plans. Um, I'm setting up and creating what I call the Fanuel Foundation. I'll, I'll, I'll let your listeners in on a little secret. Um, you know how Michael is Adam? Mm-hmm. Well, Joseph Smith's got a name too. And, uh, and I think, who knows, I could be wrong, but I think it might be Fanuel, P-H-A-N-U-E-L. And if you go look up the name Fanuel uh, and Joseph Smith, you'll see that a lot of other people have have kind of postulated that that was, that was his name. But Fanuel. I'm quite confident based on some of my experiences that that's his name. Whoa, dude. I'm so excited to see what happens with this domain because this is what I've been feeling, dude. I've been feeling, and after this, we'll get back to your converse story, but I've been feeling for like a quite a long time since I've started this podcast, I keep having the talk that um, Elder Bednar gave where he talks about social media and the work it's going to do for the future generation. He says that right now we're only at the tip of, tip of the iceberg when it comes to sharing the gospel over the internet. And it's going to get huge. Like sharing the gospel, this is not the beginning. Like this is, or this is the beginning. Like we have so much work to do through social media and internet by bringing people to gospel. It's like just the very beginning. So I'm like, I always have that feeling in my heart. Like this is just the beginning. We're going to go hard. Dang. Totally. I mean, I, I have this, this in my head, this vision of doing something honoring kind of the, the early saints and, and clearly Joseph Smith and doing some kind of docu series similar to what the chosen has done. Uh, with the life and journey of Joseph Smith. Maybe I can get Angel Studios to yeah. to do that and we'll have josephsmith.com to promote it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited and, and feel, you know, a sense of of stewardship to, to really honor his name. And so many people are Googling Joseph Smith. Like it is, I'm sure it's with, I don't know how many missionaries we got out there, 60, 70, 80,000 yeah. people talking about Joseph Smith that people are going in and and Googling Joseph Smith. So I want to make sure that there's a a landing page that would do, you know, his name justice and honor and, and share the, the work that, that only, only somebody that's one of the seven stars. I don't know if you've, you've read uh, the book of revelation, but it talks about seven stars and those seven stars are the seven dispensational heads. And, and one of those is, is Joseph Smith. Wow, dude. I have two things to say. One with the being able to understand the book of Isaiah and Revelation. Joseph Smith said in a in a in one of his I can't remember where he said it, I don't know the exact quote, but he basically says that 
reading the book of Revelation to him is like reading a children's book. Um, and he said, those that can read that and understand what it means has the gift of revelation. Um, the gift from God to be able to, or not revelation of, um, I think it's a prophecy. Yeah. It's the gift of prophecy. If you can understand that's exactly what he says. Yeah. yeah. And that's like that. So when, when I heard you share that on ward radio, I was like, Oh my gosh, he probably has the gift of prophecy. That's so cool. Just like Joseph Smith said, um, because Joseph Smith said it was the most well, simple book he could ever ever read, I think. And 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 it's available to everybody. Mm. I, like, don't get me wrong. Like, like it is available to every single person. The 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 ingredients to knowing how to know Revelation or Isaiah, for that matter. Number one, the Savior commands us in Third Nephi to study Isaiah. He wouldn't command us to study something if he knew we couldn't understand it. So then you say, okay, well, how do I understand it? Well, the answer to that's in Alma 26, 22. Hmm. And it's, it's, it's laid out. There are four things that you have to do. Pray continually, repent of your sins, do good works. I can't remember what the fourth one is, but it's, it's right there. If you'll yeah. just follow that formula, then you can begin to understand those things. But there's some like keys and I'm, I'm, I'm now feeling, um, okay to share some things. If you go to my YouTube channel, I got a video on there that I did where I lay out, uh, revelation chapters one through three, Hmm. and, um, I'm releasing revelation chapter four through six, but I'm helping people kind of give them some keys that I've found that helps me understand everything else. And when you understand that, then you begin to understand Genesis and you begin to understand Isaiah. And so, I believe that we're living in a time where um, the church is going to come out with some things that is going to be revelatory, that we are going to learn some of the hidden truths, and and we're entering into that age and that era, uh, and I'm excited for that. Yeah, me too. I like what President Nelson said. He's like, from this time until Christ comes again, we will see the most like special miracles and works of God that has ever been in, in history. Um, and so I think that's what you're talking about. That's so cool. Totally. And, and it's your generation. It's you guys. Like I'm an old overweight, out of shape guy. <laughs> we need, we need these young guns. Right. So, so we're, we're really relying on, on the power of, of your generation, uh, to really spread this. Uh, like I got my son that works for me or with me. I doesn't work for me. He works with me. We're partners in business together. And boy, he knows the internet and how to do things and set up websites. And, you know, I, I would have had to go and hire some crazy company to do this and paid them a lot of money and they would have overcharged me. But he's like, no, we just do this. We just do this. So your generation is so smart. It's so smart. And, and, and you, your generation has to really protect themselves because the adversary knows how powerful you guys are, how smart you guys are. So he is, he is attacking and he's attacking, whether it be with pornography or just, he's, he's unloading his arsenal to make sure that, that your generation doesn't wake up to the power that they are. Yeah, I agree. I think there's some something that's so undeniable about our generation and how there's so many people choosing to follow Christ because they want to. 
not because of tradition or because of their parents have them to like it's so crazy to me just within even a couple of years i've seen the people going on missions now they're like have testimonies and they're like have their own experiences and i would talk to someone thinking their answer is going to be like i don't really know like that much yet i just feel it's a good thing but they're like no like i experienced this i prayed i had a very strong feeling when i was listening to this hymn that this is what i need to do like i felt the spirit i felt like Christ forgive my sins. I'm like, what? Like you're 18 saying this? Like the kids in my high school during 18 were like, let's go party. Let's go get drunk. Oh, then I'll go on a mission. Like it's crazy to me how much this younger generation is choosing to be disciples um, without anyone yeah, telling and, them. And to. listen, Joel chapter two, there's a prophecy about your generation where it says the young men will dream dreams. I think we're living in a time period, especially now where they're so sensitive to the spirit and and the lord is working through them and we've got to make sure that that as our children or grandchildren for that matter have these spiritual experiences that they feel comfortable that they can share them that they feel comfortable that they can talk about them because it's going to happen and we got to make sure that we don't do what happened to joseph smith when somebody has some miraculous experience you know his parents did a great job saying, okay, we got you. We believe you. But when he went out and tried to tell anybody else, they blew him up. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to make sure that we don't do as the Pharisees, that we understand Joel's prophecies and that, that our young men and women will dream dreams and have dreams. And and we got to hear what they have to say, because I believe the windows of heaven are just beginning to open up again. And um, revelation is going to be pouring out to those who are asking and open. Dude, 100%. This is so cool. So I want to I wanna ask you a question a little bit about that one vision you had and visitation with Joseph Smith talking about polygamy. I actually felt the spirit during that when you shared that. And whether that's for your own benefit or whether that's what actually happened, Either way, I felt the spirit. I want my listeners to know I felt the spirit. I also think if that is the case, I do think that makes sense. Um, I think that... Listen, listen, it makes total sense. How did Satan get David? If he, if Joseph Smith is who he says he is, and and is supposed, you don't think he's going to try and get him? How do you think he's going to try and get this good looking dude? And, and unfortunately, that's, that's, we have to really protect ourselves. That's why we make these covenants in the temple on the law of chastity. It's a, it's a very serious thing. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, yeah, it makes sense to me. I, I don't think there's a woman in the church that's like, oh, man, let's go polygamy. Yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. I, yeah. I think it's, I think it's far more likely because you even notice a change in Joseph Smith's polygamy later on in his life. He's marrying people that are like, they're pregnant, they're older. These are not people that you would marry because you want to have relations with. Yeah. And so you see still in it because I think he has to like go through it. And he knows, like he knew, he said, I'm headed like a lamb to the slaughter. Yeah. So he knew that. He knew that he had, he had made a mistake. He had knew, he knew that, you know, he had to seal his bait with his blood. Um, and, and, that's what it is. And so, 
it's a hard doctrine to digest because we've had to defend against it for so long. But now all of a sudden you don't have to, you just have to say, yeah, you know what? He, he may have messed up and, yeah. and that's okay. It doesn't discredit the book of Mormon or who he was as a prophet. The atonement is just as real for him as it is for, for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually talk about this in revelation chapter two. I, I tie in the church of Ephesus to Joseph Smith. And it actually says in there as it's, as, as it's this letter is talking to the church church of Ephesus, it calls the church of Ephesus to repent because they left their first love. And so it's a really interesting tie-in when you look at that um, as, as maybe being very prophetic um, about what Joseph Smith went through. Uh, wow. But I just think when I, I, when I think about the doctrine of polygamy, what I realize, at least in this telestial world that we're living in, it just, it never worked out. Yeah. Emma wasn't super pumped and happy about it. It was a contention for her. It was contentious with him and Oliver Cowdery. Um, it, it just, it just, it caused the saints to get, you know, kicked out and persecuted and all sorts of things mm-hmm. and, until it was finally to the point where it's like, there was a vision where it was shown, Hey, if you keep practicing this polygamy thing, it's the utter destruction of the church. And so they, they quit the practice and you have to say to yourself, would, would God ask somebody to practice something like this? If he knew it was going to destroy the restored church. Yeah. So there's too many holes in there. You know, the angel that comes with the drawn sword and says, if you don't practice this, I'm going to kill you. Uh, I don't think so. That's not how God works. God yeah. gives us agency. He doesn't say do this or I'll kill you. And so those are the questions I just started asking. And, and I got real specific when, when I was in my car, I'm like, Hey, I want a vision. I want a dream. I want an angel. I just want to know the truth and I'm cool with whatever it is. Yeah. I just want to know that one truth. So like I said, that was the, that's the answer for me. It may be, may be controversial. Yeah. Uh, people might not, not like to hear that other people it will resonate with them. Uh, I haven't talked a ton about it. This is the first time that I'm going on any podcast explaining what my experience was on March 12th of 2015, but shoot, that's what happened. That's why I got this picture behind me. Yeah. Cause like I visited that field a couple of times in, in dreams. Um, and I got news for Joseph's Joseph Smith's the man freaking love that dude. Yeah. What would you say to those who like say, Oh, it was a it was a part of the restoration since it was practiced in previous times. That's why it needs to be restored because, and and I'm assuming you would say, well, like where did God command it? Like, uh, no. Here's here's what I would say. I'm I'm going to take you to the story of of Abraham. Okay. So Abraham practices it, doesn't go over too well. He drops Hagar out in the desert with his kid uh, Ishmael, and and guess what? God says, I want you to sacrifice your only son, Isaac. Well, God doesn't ask us to sacrifice just for no good reason. Mm -hmm. You got to ask yourself, why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? Usually a sacrifice is for sin. Mm -hmm. So maybe he realized he messed up. And guess what? Isaac doesn't practice polygamy. I'm sure that Abraham's like, dude, don't do this. If your wife can't get pregnant, which was the case, Rebecca couldn't get pregnant. He says, just go pray and ask God. He prayed and asked God. And what happened? Well, he got Esau and Jacob. He got twins. Yeah. So if we'll, if 
if you're out there and you're struggling to, to have kids or whatever the case is, there's proven record in the scriptures that if we'll pray to God and we'll plead with him, there is a way for you to, to have children. I, I see it in the scripture. So I would just say that I'm looking at how Abraham handled that situation. And, and when you look at Jacob's polygamy, he gets duped into it. He thought he was going, I don't know how they were doing it back in those days, but he didn't even know he was doing it with Leah until it was too late. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she got snuck in somehow. And then, and then they couldn't get pregnant. And then he's just like, yeah, I'll take Bilpah and Zilpah. And, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the Lord's like, huh, okay, I'll make do. And it was part of the Lord's plan. So I'm not discounting that at all. Um, but I am saying that the Isaac didn't practice it and he didn't pra- practice it for a reason. Yeah. And so, um, Jacob certainly didn't, we got the 12 tribes from it. That's okay. Yeah. Like, God uses imperfect people to do his perfect work. Mm-hmm. And, and we just have to understand that we got to be okay with that. Yeah. Wow. That is so interesting. So I want to go back to you in, in jail, prisoner jail. What's it called where you're at? So, so, so there's two different things. Okay. So you got the county jail, which mm-hmm. is kind of like a short term stay. Okay. You know, one day to 12 months usually is like short term. Mm-hmm. And that's usually where it's being decided whether or not you're going to, going to go to prison. And prison is kind of the long-term stay. Yeah. So when I say jail, I'm talking about my time in jail. My time in prison is totally different. Yeah. My time in prison, like you could get a job. I mean, they pay you 60 cents an hour. Yeah. I was the librarian. <laughs> but it's just a it's a different experience in prison than jail. And prison i had my own tv which was awesome yeah and so in jail jail is much harder than prison so in in jail what were like probably the most special experiences you had when it came to sharing the gospel or experiencing if you had dreams or anything that you feel like in prison you're like wow these were like these helped me know i'm on the right track like god's speaking to me Perfect, dude. I, I got a couple. So um, I'll share the story of Alex Costio. So I had had a previous experience where I had I had had a dream. I was in a high political position, and we were being attacked um, by Russia and China, and we were in trouble as America. And I didn't know what to do. So I prayed. I asked God. God told me to go to, this is a dream, mind you. God told me to go to the North Pole. And to, to make a long story short, um, I went to the North Pole in my dream and I got answers while I was there. Woke up from that dream. I go to the temple. And I know when I get a dream that is is different because I'll dream things in color. Like I will remember certain things. Like in my dream, this girl had green eyes and black hair. Like I'll remember certain things things that are very vivid. Mm-hmm. So I go to the temple and I'm thinking about this dream that I had and I literally grab a triple combination. I'm sitting in the chapel area and I just throw it open, right? And it throws open to DNC section 133. This is a section that talks about people in the north country that have their own prophets that would come and help the tribe of Ephraim in their time of need and despair. And I'm like, wow, that really resonated with my dream. 
That was in 2014. So I'm in jail. I'm trying to understand this dream. I'm, I'm asking God, Hey, I'm in jail. How does all of this work? I'm confused. Can you give me some greater insights? And, um, the next day after I had prayed and asked God, I see this man walk in and he's in red and you know, if somebody is new because they're wearing a a red jumpsuit and the spirit was like, go talk to this guy. His name is Alex. So I go talk to Alex. I find out that Alex is a return missionary. He has gotten into drugs and was prostituting girls like crazy stuff. And he and I talk and the spirit says, share with him your dream and read with him section 133. So I shared my dream with him. We read section 133. He's like, dude, that is crazy. After we get done reading, they tell us, okay, it's time to go back to your cells because they're going to hand out mail. So everybody goes back to his cell. He goes to his cell. I go to my cell. They hand out mail. The doors open and I see Alex come running across the way to come over to my cell. And he's got a letter in his hands. And he said, dude, Shane, I don't know what's going on here, but you need to read this letter I just got from my mom. I pull it open. I read the letter. It says, dear Alex, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I felt prompted to write down all the verses to section 133 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And it's like 70 something verses. Mm -hmm. And so it was a, a further testimony to me that, okay, this dream is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I am exactly where I need to be. It's okay. So that's one The the second one is the story of, of TK. His name's Jared Charles Lance, but in gangs, he's known as TK. Okay. Dude, if you look up that name, if you Google Jared Charles Lance, you will see a guy he's currently in prison right now on a murder charge. Okay. I don't know whether he did it or not. But I mean, this dude is like, he's a hardcore, scary looking dude tatted up. He's got the teardrop. I don't know if you know what the little teardrop means in the, the gang world. Like Do you know what that someone, means? Right. Got it. So that dude had one of those, right? So I'm like, uh, okay. And he's eyeballing me for three days. This dude's like looking at me and staring at me. And after about three days, he comes walking towards me and I'm like, oh my gosh, this dude's going to want to fight me. I don't know what I did to him, but he's going to want to fight me. And he comes up to me and he says, you know, where where my dad is. I'm like, is your dad dead? He's like, yes. I'm like, who told you that I know where your dad is? He said, God did. I'm like, cool. Let's sit down and we'll talk. And I taught him all about the plan of salvation. And I gave him the book of Mormon. And this dude dug into the book of Mormon. Like even now I get calls from him while he's in jail and he's reading the book of Mormon. Not, you know, he's still a gangbanger. He's still into that gang life, (laughs) but dude, he would die for the book of Mormon. Like he is, he is a gangster for the book. He loves the book of Mormon. Just an incredible, incredible guy. Um, so that, that was another experience where I was able to share the gospel and, and while, you know, he's not getting baptized or anything. I mean, this dude, he believes in the book of Mormon. He reads the book of Mormon. He shares the book of Mormon with other people. Uh, like he's all in on the Book of Mormon. That's amazing. Dang. So, like, I remember you shared an experience with. Oh, you want you want? I'll give you the third one. <laughs> I know, I know where you're going. Okay, this one, dude. I took a lot of heat 
in the comments section on this, yeah. um, in Ward radio, but I'll share it here because listen, it happened. Yeah. This is what I'm just telling you what happened to me. Yeah. Like it is what it is. Right. Yeah. So, um, I'm having these amazing spiritual experiences. I'm, I'm asking God like, Hey, you know, uh, I feel like I'm on the right path, but you know, I, I'd really like to really know, uh, that I am on the right path. And in the, the, the section that I'm in, you have these three tables and people just kind of walk in circles. There's not, there's nowhere really to go, but you want to just kind of move. So you just walk in circles. Yeah. So I'm walking in circles and all of a sudden this guy starts walking with me. He's dressed in like jail clothes, like I'm dressed in, uh, probably in his thirties in unbelievable shape. I'm talking like, you can see the veins in this guy's very vascular, um, look like he could do like 500 pull-ups, climb mountains, like, yeah. but he's like five, nine, five, 10, you know, not a huge guy, but I mean, you could tell, you know, you can tell people when they're like ripped, they have yeah. like no body fat on. Yeah. That's this dude, piercing blue eyes, Sandy brownish, short hair. Um, and he starts and he's kind of tan, you know, and he starts walking with me and I smile at him and he smiles back at me. And I notice these teeth, like these are some old teeth, like his teeth were straight, but they were long. And in my head, I'm like, man, those look like teeth that are like ancient old teeth. Yeah. And he says to me, I smile at him and he says, I got to get me some of those. And I knew he was talking about my teeth. I'm like, no, 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 dude. All we got to do is whiten those babies up and you'll be good to go. And he laughed and he goes, Shane, I know who you are. I'm like, okay, well, well, who are you? And this is what he said. He said, I am that I am. And I'm here to give you a message. You're on the right path. It's all about self-confidence. He walked one more lap with me. I never saw the guy after that. And I haven't seen him since. But of all the things that somebody claiming to be the I am could tell me was number one, I am where I need to be. And, and it's for anybody that's going through some hard things, some trials, some tribulations, you know, life isn't, you know, going great for you, which was the case for me at that time. It was reassuring for me to know, oh, I'm on the right path. This is a part of my experience. And number two, he tells me it's all about self-confidence. So just believe in yourself, believe that you're the one, right? And so I made it my mission at that moment in time to not only share the gospel, but to help everybody understand the divinity that they have within themselves. That if we are all truly children of this almighty, all-powerful being that we call God, then his DNA is in us. And so we should have all the confidence in the world that as God is our father, that we can do and perform amazing things and, and, and have miracles and, and all of those things. And so I made it my mission at that point to, as part of my ministry in there, to really help people develop greater self-confidence, to, to help them remember who they are. Dude, I wanted to hear that story. I wanted to hear it so bad because I just thought it was so cool. And so who, who is that? Who did you, who do you believe that is? Cause I don't know if the listeners know, but who do you think that was? I mean, 
I mean, in the, in the scriptures, God introduces himself as, as the I am. Now, whether that was, was God the Father, whether I, I like, I don't know, right? And, and it's not like I got any revelatory things other than, than, than what he told me, uh, whether that was the, the Savior himself visiting me. Like, I don't know whether yeah. it was Enoch, and now he's the I am. I, I, like, I don't know. Yeah. I get the feeling that that you know it felt like a very father figure for me. Yeah, that that it was here was a, a son of of God who was you know in the the depths of peril and despair that was you know wanting to know, am I doing the right things? Is everything okay? And and this father sees his son and he's like, comes down. And he's like, Hey, I got you, man. It's all right. I know who you are. Yeah. I'm aware of what you're going through. It's okay. This is part of your journey. This is part of your path. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, that just gave me more confidence that I, I quit beating myself up. Yeah. I quit saying, man, I did this wrong. I, you know, I messed up my marriage. I, I messed up these guys, you know, financially. Like I was literally beating myself up while I was in there. And and for to have an experience like that to say, hey, I know who you are. You're, it's all good. Yeah. Um, I got you. Right. And, and I think that I, I really believe I am no different than anybody else. And anybody else that gets into a state of of deep humility, deep repentance can have these spiritual experiences, it's available to everybody. Our church is built around the concept that if you lack wisdom, all you got to do is ask God. And, and we got to believe that we're going to get answers. And, and like I said, I've got this feeling that the windows of heaven are, are being opened in a big way. And, and, and people like you, Jackson, are going to have experiences. And, and I'm hoping that that people don't shy away from those experiences, that people don't discount those experiences, that they recognize them for what they are, what they truly are. And it's God speaking to us. And he speaks to us in so many different ways. And if we're listening, we'll hear him. Yeah. Dude, that's so cool. I have two things to say. One, there's this thing in the scriptures. I don't know what it's exactly called, but it's called divine something and it's what it is is that those who are called by Christ or by heavenly father with the authority to do certain things can also speak for Christ or heavenly father and that's why we see like in the temple video divine like, investiture yeah divine I, investiture is yeah. what you're referring and and so like for example like Christ speaks for heavenly father and then like the apostles speak for Christ um, and you'll see, we even see that like in the temple, right? We see that that's what they're doing through that divine totally. authority. And I was thinking about it. And when you explain the guy, I I've done a lot of deep diving into people experiencing stories with the three Nephites and, or, or John, right. And totally. They, and, I, and I've had that thought that it could have been John or the three Nephites. Like it could have been yeah. any of them. And they've achieved the level to say, I am that I am. Yeah. I, I'm here speaking on behalf of. Of Dude, the Savior himself. That's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. I was like, it sounded like one of the three Nephites was, could have been speaking, like God speaking through them. That totally could have been. Totally. Um, that's totally. so special. That is so cool. I also have another thought. 
throughout this whole journey, you said you're kind of beating yourself up in jail. And I feel like I did that for a long time. I had, I had strayed away and I'd gone pretty deep in sin. And for a long time, I was even convinced by my own people close to me about that I was a bad person. And what I realized when like the spirit spoke to me and I, I like woke up almost, I was like, oh my gosh, like I am not a bad person. I had to go through all of this to experience just evil, experience sin to know how much I don't want that anymore. And that that was a part of my journey. Just like Alma the Younger, we don't point like fingers at Alma the Younger and saying like, look at all the bad stuff you did. We're glad you turned around. We we don't do that. We say, look how powerful of a missionary he became because he experienced so far away. So when did that hit you where you're like, I had to go well, through this? You bring up you bring up a really, a really valid point. How long did it take for Alma the Younger to be forgiven of his sins? Like when I guess I guess right away when he accepted Christ. Two days? Yeah. Two days. He was out for two days. So if Alma the Younger can be forgiven, and my guess is Alma the Younger was doing some things that are like pretty abominable, or however yeah. you say that word, right? The, pretty, pretty bad stuff. I think, yeah, the Lord called uh, him the most vilest of sinner. But yeah, keep going. Totally. And two days later. He's good to go. Yeah. That's how quickly the Lord can work. And I think it's unfortunate that we we oftentimes think that we set these, oh, well, I did this, so it's a year. You're a great example of that. When we were doing our pre-call before we, we got on here and did the podcast, you had said, when I came home from my mission, it was supposed to take how long? 18 months? Yeah, it's supposed to a year and a half. Yep. And what happened? It was six months. They moved it up just through miracles. I got to go at six months. You got it. So the process can take two days. Mm-hmm. It, could t- it could take six months. It could take 18 months. It could take 10 years. It depends on the person and how repentant they are. Yes. And trust me, those who have the keys, they know. They know when you're ready. They know when you're truly repentant. They know they can feel it. They can't deny it. Yeah. And that was certainly the case for you. Mm-hmm. So while it's not normal. Just like, just like for me, I get out of prison. I hadn't been excommunicated. I go and meet with my state president because he doesn't necessarily know what to do. But after several meetings with me, he's like, this man is repentant. Mm-hmm. This is like, I got a temple recommend while I was on parole. Yeah, That's not normal. They had to get special permission to do that. Yeah. Um, but but I am convinced that those who have the keys, they know our hearts. And if you're truly repentant, man, they can't deny the spirit that they feel. So if you're feeling like, oh, my bishop's taking too long for me to do that, or it's too much time, well, maybe you need to turn inward and you need to say, maybe I I haven't had that Alma the Younger repentance. Maybe I didn't have that Jackson Mars repentance. Maybe I need to go back to the Lord and get serious about my my repentance so that when I do go meet with my priesthood authority that holds the keys, he feels that I have tasted the atonement and that I have repented. Dude, that is so true. I just had a message from a dude yesterday who he messaged me. He said, I saw your video. Um, I just got home from my mission for repentance process. Like, when did you know you were worthy? And like, 
did you just wait for the time to end? And that's kind of when you felt it was right. Or did you feel it in your heart? And dude, I was like, I sent him like 20 minute voice memo. I was like, dude, repentance is not about time. It's about change. It has nothing to do with like God's love is there's like no time limit on whether you're worthy enough to have the spirit with you. It's all about your heart. And I was like, dude, it could take, like you just said, it literally could take one day. It's, it's usually often ourselves not forgiving us rather than heavenly father, not forgiving us. I think heavenly father's like, you're, you're forgiven. Move on. Like you're here to be imperfect. You are like, I sent you down here to learn how to become humble, to rely on me with imperfection. So to treat others as we need to be perfect or when we make mistakes, we're not good people. Or it's like that the whole purpose of life is to have weaknesses and then to learn how to rely on God because we can't do it on our own. And so, and when we have God's, when we have God's forgiveness, when we forgive, like God forgives, when God forgives, he says, literally, I remember them no more. Mm -hmm. And so it's also on us. If God's not going to remember him, why am I going to sit here and remember him and beat myself up too? When we can just kind of be like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. God's forgiven me. Now I've forgiven me. That is the key. And I think you nailed it, man. I, I think, I think that God forgives like this. It's like, how quickly are you going to forgive yourself? Yeah. When can you remember it no more? Dude, 100%. I, I think there's so many, I think the gospel is so much deeper than a time limit or a rule. I, I think I love the rules. I love the commandments. It helps us grow closer to God. But I think the biggest key to following the commandments is we want to do it because we love Christ, not because we want a blessing or because that'll get us into heaven or because it's something that is like, we feel duty. We feel like we should do it. It's like, it's so deep. I think this is my personal opinion. I think Heavenly Father would rather have us be in sin for a while to eventually find out why we follow the commandments because we love him rather than blindly follow the commandments with no re- no reason why we're doing it. They, we, we just do it because we're told to, because we're scared that God's going to be upset at us because we're going to lose blessings. I think God would rather have us find us find it the hard way going through sin. And that may be controversial. Can I people. get an amen? You are, you hit it on the head. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I, I, and, and that can be controversial though. Cause people are like, well, it's better to like follow for like, for like, it's better to follow in general, but you need to find that eventually. But I don't think so. I think sometimes people need it. Well, listen, way. I can give you a scriptural basis for that. Revelation chapter three, lukewarm. Oh, lukewarm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he's like, dude, I'd rather you be hot or I'd rather you be cold, mm-hmm. but I don't want you to be lukewarm. And what were they in the garden of Eden? Totally lukewarm. Yeah. Totally lukewarm. He would rather, honestly, while like, like they get punished for, for taking of the fruit, he at least would rather that because now they're going to have experience. Now they're going to grow. Now they are going to become like God. Yeah. If had they not done that, they would have just sat there and been lukewarm. Yeah, dude. So, and, and and then once we get converted, he wants us to be, you know, he wants to be on fire for the Lord, right? Yeah. So he'd rather you either be hot or cold, but lukewarm, you know, he says, I'll, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Yeah. That's so cool. I, all this stuff that we're talking about is so crazy because I've been having these spiritual experiences recently, like about all of this. And so it's so cool how God puts people in each other's lives, like at the perfect time. I feel like this happens. Totally so perfectly. So I have a couple more things. I want to hear what has been like the biggest spiritual experience knowing that 
Christ is your savior, that God exists, that the church is true after getting out of jail? What was the biggest, what's the biggest thing that's happened, do you think, since then? Um, or even really if it's small, simple things. No, I know. I mean, for me, it's, it's like having faith, knowing the fact that like, you know, I've, I've got a rap sheet now. Mm-hmm. Like, how am I going to navigate in this world? Um, really tuning in to making sure, like, I'm a big believer in the doctrine that doesn't get taught and, and it's kind of controversial of this thing called the second comforter. We don't talk about the second comforter. Joseph Smith talks about it. It's mentioned in the New Testament. And what is it? It's it's where you can attain really the mind of Christ, where his thoughts become your thoughts. And and for a lot of missionaries, they receive that. Believe it or not, their their thoughts are his thoughts. They say what he would say. And and getting out of I was a little bit nervous to get out of prison and really re-enter the world because I liked where I was. I liked that I not that I was incarcerated, but I liked where I was spiritually. And so for me, it's like I want to maintain the level of spirituality while still navigating in this world and really seeking to have my thoughts be in line with what Christ would think. If I see somebody, I'm saying, what would Christ think? Whereas before I would see somebody make a judgment, but I'm trying to see everything through Christ's lens. And, and I there's this scripture in DNC, and it says, Let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly, and then shall your confidence wax strong in the presence of God. And it's so hard to have your thoughts be garnished unceasingly with virtue. Especially with all the things that are being thrown at us. If you start scrolling, man, you like you got to be quick. If you see something, you got to be like, yeah, I can't see that. I can't hear that. Whatever, you know. But we have to navigate in this world. We can't just turn to blind, turn a blind eye to it. But for me, since getting out, it's been like, how do I maintain and be worthy of having what is referred to as as the second comforter? And I believe that that is available to anybody, uh, to anybody who seeks that out. And so that's been really a, a, a study of mine and, and trying to make sure that I do the best job I can being a mortal, you know, human being, but, but trying to do the best job I can to not get caught up in the world while still having to navigate in the world. Um, and you know, for me, it's like, I, I finally feel comfortable um, coming on podcasts. Um, if you look at my history, like I've been out since 2020, I did one podcast to just have my story kind of out there. Um, but in the last six months, I've had a real prompting to be more engaged and more active going on podcasts, sharing my story. And and since doing that, I've had some really incredible experience. I've got a friend that I've made, his name's Tom he was an excommunicated member of the church. He saw me on a podcast, reached out to me. I engaged with him and um, he got rebaptized last month. Um, wow. And and that's just being able to be a small part involved in things like that uh, is huge. That's why, dude, I love what you're doing because 
while you're not out there in Japan on the mission anymore, you're probably reaching and impacting more people with your story. Uh, people will totally dude resonate. I, I resonated with you as I heard your voice. And so you're doing missionary work in, in a way that I think is super powerful through, through podcasting and through your ability, like your branding's cool. You got good vibes. Like, <laughs> like what you're doing is super, super cool as you're sharing, not only your story of how you converted to Christ, but as you're, you know, interviewing other people and their conversion stories, and then sharing that message out on, on the World Wide web and through the social media. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's so fun. And I, I love, I'm going to start doing more public interviews as well, trying to help people find the gospel. Um, just talking to them just like missionaries would, but in normal, natural way. Um, I have two more things before we end. One is, do you have any other story, thoughts, or thing you feel inspired to share before we end? If not, it's okay. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, no, one of the things that I knew was going to be vitally important is I knew I needed to get remarried. I, I knew that being married was an important thing, um, and, and I knew once I got out that in order for me to to fully complete my mission on this earth, I needed to to be married. And so I grabbed a, a pencil, use pencil when you do this. For those of you out there who are looking to attract the perfect companion, male or female, this works. Grab a pencil and you are going to write down exactly what it is you are looking for. So for me, I wrote down, I want to find somebody when I get out that's around my same age. So I was 40 years old when I got out had to be a member of the church, had to have a testimony of Christ, had to have served a mission. Now, this gets tricky when I throw that one in there. It's common today for women to serve a mission, but back in the late 90s, early 2000s, not so common. She had to be hot or beautiful, whatever you want to say. Yeah. She, she had to be She had to be, you know, attractive to me. Mm-hmm. Um, she had to come from a great family. She had to have a, at least a four-year degree or a bachelor's degree. Like these are things. Oh, and and here's the hardest one. Can't have any kids. Like you add all that up and, and I'm coming in Utah to find that was like, good luck. Especially like when I shared Utah. that with people, yeah, they're like, they're like, there's no way, dude, there's no way. Sure enough. I get out. I can't figure out my pa- Facebook password. I can't remember it. So instead of me you know, beating myself up about it, or I'm just like, oh, I guess the Lord wants me to start a new one. So I start a new Facebook. And so I start inviting all my, you know, people that I know and their friends. Well, I invite one of my friends and it's like, well, if you're going to have, have, add him as a friend, you might as well look at this, that, or the other. Well, this friend of mine had a sister and I'm like, whoa, she's hot. I friend her. And then I learned that you can just send a, a direct message a DM. I'm like, I just send her a message. And she of course knew who I was and, and kind of knew my, my story. And she had felt prompted that she had heard that I had gotten out and she had had the prompting that I was going to reach out to her. So I reach out to her. We hang out. It's a Wednesday. I don't even have a driver's license. I'm living at my parents' house. So trying to pull all of this off, this is why I know anything is possible. I'm living with my parents. I've been out of prison for two weeks. 
I have no job. I have no car. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have, I don't even have a driver's license because I had to get it renewed and it was taking a couple weeks for it to get renewed. She comes over to my parents' house. We hang out on Wednesday. Then she wants to hang out the next day on Thursday. And we go on our formal date. I get my driver's license. I borrow my mom's Lexus at 40 years old yeah. and take this girl on a date, uh, a formal date. And, and we kiss. And when we kissed, she started crying. And I'm like, oh man, I must be a really bad kiss. It's been five years. So <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm like, Hey, it, it's, is everything okay? And she's crying. And she said, my patriarchal blessing told me that I would find love and you're it. And I was, and she had checked all of those, no kids, like all the box served a mission in Indiana comes from a great family. And, uh, yeah, a few months later I married her. So, uh, she's my wife today. So I'm confident that if we ask specifically, and then if we take action, specific action, that the Lord will guide us in this process. Now, you people out there want to call it manifesting. Mm -hmm. Well, the Lord is the greatest manifester on the planet. And if we will use the Lord and have righteous desires, the Lord will help us in concert with us manifest our righteous desires. Dude, that is so cool. It's getting me hyped up about me getting married because I want to get married. <laughs> and so, well, yeah, I, I, I think you might've found the one who knows. So it sounds like you're on the right track for all you other girls out there. Our boy Jackson here might be off the market real soon. That, that is very true. And no one, it's funny <laughs> that you mentioned that because no one in my family or friends at home know this until they watch this podcast and they only have a little glimpse of it. Cause you said that. So we'll let them have that little hint, but um, yeah, I just want to ask you if you had to give advice to someone who is thinking of God is real, thinking of the church is the true church on earth. If, you know, if they are just trying to know what the purpose of life is, like what would be their, your one advice to those that are listening? Have real conversations with whatever being you think may or may not be out there. And when I say have a real conversation, it isn't this canned Heavenly Father, great for this day, thank for my mom and dad, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's not that. It's like, hey, I'm here. Are you out there? It is totally okay for you to ask if God is real. And it is totally okay for you to ask for some kind of a sign. I was talking to this guy, I was in prison, and he was like, how can I know if God is real? How can I know if this Book of Mormon is true? I'm like, ask God. If you want to ask for a sign, ask for a sign. He's like, but are you not supposed to ask for signs? I'm like, trust me, if God wants you to know that he's there, that he's real, ask for a sign. This dude goes and prays. He prays that a bird would come and sit on his windowsill. If God is real and the Book of Mormon is true, and a bird came and sat on his windowsill, and then another bird came. And he's like, okay. So it's okay for us to ask for these signs. And when, when you ask for them, all that our Heavenly Father asks is that you don't call it weird, that you don't call it a coincidence, that you recognize it's from him, you show gratitude for him. And once you know, 
you turn into one of the most powerful instruments in his hands because now he has shown you his power. And he is constantly trying to speak to us. I promise you, if you walk into a a grocery store or you walk into Ross or you walk into some store and if you'll tune into the music playing, there may be a message that's right there for you if you're paying attention. He is trying to communicate. They are trying to communicate with us if we'll just listen. Dude, that reminds me of one of my favorite speakers of all time is a guy named Hiram Smith. He not not the Hiram Smith bro, Joseph Smith brother, but I know who you're talking about. I freaking love him, dude. I listened to cassette tapes of his while I was on my mission. Dude, he's my number one favorite speaker of all time. Um, and what's funny enough I'm with you. is he got excommunicated and then came back and got rebaptized. Um, and you're right. He he fell. He he committed adultery. Yeah. Broke the law of chastity. Mm-hmm. This guy was a mission president, I think, at like 37. Yeah. <laughs> but he's 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 by far and away the best speaker I've ever heard as well. Oh, dude, that's awesome. You know him. He, he's literally my absolute favorite. Anyone listening, go if you can find him. You can't find him on BYU um devotionals anymore because they deleted all of his his talks, but he's on lots of like other things like YouTube where you can go find his old talks and they're probably one of the most impactful talks I've ever listened to. Some of the most. Um, I was going to say one thing that when you were talking, just this whole conversation has reminded me of is he, Hiram Smith, I think was very in tune with knowing who we were, especially in the premortal life. And that's why I relate with him so much. And he says this thing where he says, Joseph Smith said at one time that if you if you knew who I was, you'd slay me for blasphemy. Um, basically saying that, you know, Joseph Smith was someone special. And two, he said, you if you he was talking to the youth at the time, I don't know what era, but he was saying, if you knew who you were, your hair would stand up on the back of your neck. And he was like, We are so special and chosen. You have no idea who you were. And if you did know who you were, it's probably one of the most powerful things that Satan doesn't want you to know. He, If he, like you said earlier, you're like, if Satan does not want you to figure out who you are, because when you do, you realize, holy crap, I'm a child of God. I have DNA of God inside me. And that means I can do things that Christ and God did with faith and with his will. Like we can do totally. some of the most special things. And Satan wants us to think we're just weak humans that can't do anything ourselves. And that we're just just depressed, anxious beings that have to go through a suffering life when we can actually do amazing things. Um, so I just, Amen. I, I'm so glad you know Hiram Smith. He's like my favorite of all time. Um, I'll yeah, just, he is, he's incredible. Yeah. I'll just end with um, kind of my testimony a little bit about just because about how much I love Hiram Smith and about what we're talking about. My favorite quote of all time of his is, if your self-worth is dependent on anything other than your relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are in big trouble. And that has stuck with me from the time I heard it up until this day. That's what I live by is that anyone listening, if you are dependent on what what people think about you, the money you have, your status in your life, if you, what your family, even your own family, what they think of you, I mean, eventually all of that will fail you. All of it will. All of that will fail you 
and is only temporary happiness. But if you have your foundation and your self-worth dependent on your own relationship with Christ, it will never fail you. And I've experienced that. I've Anyone listening, I've never had peace in my entire life with my own family, with sports, with girls, with drugs, with alcohol, with sex. I've never had any peace until I found Christ. And that's why, I mean, that's why I'm doing this podcast. That's why I'm trying to do missionary work is because I've never had a purpose. I've never had peace until I found Christ. And if I, if I choose the world again, it's, it's just as much as getting close to committing suicide because like I don't have anything else. I don't. Um, and I just want to share that because that's, that's my favorite quote and that's what I live by. And I, I, I like that we're talking about Hiram Smith. So go look him up, everyone listening. He's the best ever. Okay. Well, this has been Conversion to Christ podcast, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and coming in today's episode. I think that this was one of my most favorite episodes I've ever had. And um, yeah, we'll see you later and we'll see you on the next one. See you guys. Sweet.